I'm actually preaching this message to you on the same day. I'm recording it Sunday evening. Uh, I have one more. I had one more Sunday off for the year, and um, I'm actually worshiping with you right now uh, online uh, in Dallas uh, with family, and um, and so uh, we actually preached this later on Sunday night and recorded it and have it ready for you uh, for church on Sunday. So uh, on, so for for all you people online, this was recorded ahead of time and. Uh, I'm preaching this with nobody in here, so if I do talk to anybody during this message, I've lost my mind because no one's in here except Daniel O'Malley back in the booth and myself. But I, I, am, I am glad to be able to preach this to you and to talk about this subject matter. So remember, we've been preaching this message series is Family by the Book, and uh, we're looking at the book, which is the Word of God, and we've continually gone back to this idea of the Genesis expectation, the Genesis standard. And last week we looked at the Genesis standard for parents to children. And then we looked before the Genesis standard for women, for men. Then we looked at for marriage. We looked at for the family. Now today we're going to look at the Genesis expectation for children to parents. What does that relationship look like? Now, if I told you just like last week, when it comes to Genesis 1 and 27 and 28, God created Adam and Eve, male and female, in his image. And part of what he had created them to do was to be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth, and to subdue it, to bring it underneath their authority. Now, part of that subduing it is actually the parenting role. What's, and so last week we looked at that and painted a picture that actually, as we look through the New Testament, as we look through the Old Testament, and we find the parent-child relationship, this fits in with the Genesis standard, with the Genesis expectation. God expects a... Man and woman to to benevolently parent uh, their children, and here's the flip side: for that to happen, not only do the parents have to carry out their roles of of not provoking their children to anger, but doing it in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But that also requires that the children would be willing to honor and obey. So for this subduing to work, there has to be two sides to really make this work exactly as God's design. So children have the same kind of Genesis mandate, the Genesis expectation. For your parents to exercise their place, you have to exercise your place. Now, the way it typically works is, I mean, the younger a child is, they're, you know, a young child, uh, the, the parents have a heavier emphasis and role when it comes to the structure discipline. Um, and then the older a child gets, they lose some of that authority for the structure, but they, but they try to, as you're maturing, as a child is maturing, they're trying to gain in the instruction part. And the interesting thing is this, the older a child gets, you actually become a deterrent to this. It, and actually, you, your participation in this is more and more needed. The older you get, and the more you mature. So for instance, a toddler can be forced, uh, can be kind of forced and uh, to be in a position of obedience physically, like a, a toddler can be put in bed at a certain time. A baby can be put in bed at a certain time. A, a, a baby uh, can be a one-year-old, a two-year-old. They can be disciplined to eat, but that doesn't work really well with a 16-year-old. So for some of this to even happen, to even continue to go as God has designed, it takes this part of the children of the home, especially as they mature and get older, and God is trying to guide the parents to still have what is appropriate 
structure, discipline, training, but also appealing to the heart, the instruction part that we've talked about, that takes your cooperation as children. You have to cooperate. So in line with that, what we find is that God gave in the Ten Commandments His character, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, which says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. And by extension, we see Paul quoting this same verse uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Paul quotes Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Exodus 20, 12 is, it shows us what the character of God is like. This same character t- ties us into Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Now, I say all that to say this. What's interesting is, Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Interesting enough, when you go to Exodus 20, verse 12, it actually doesn't say obey your parents. It says, honor your mother and father. Now, by extension and by, obvious, by obviousness, honoring your mother and father would mean obedience would be understood to mean obedience to the original audience in Exodus 20, verse 12. But Paul takes a special step here and kind of denotes for children what that looks like. And for children that are part of the home, this looks like this honoring your mother and father includes obedience. Very interesting. We'll look more at that here in a minute, but I want you to understand that a part of honoring your parents, the original commandment, is actually obeying your parents. Now, first, I just want to point out a couple things. Um, You you have to want to glorify God to do this. I mean, the younger you are, I mean, you you know, when when someone's a toddler, deciding to cooperate with this mandate of Genesis 128, of of helping the parents to do this subduing part, I mean, cooperating with that, that, that really relies a lot on the parents and their own structure during the early years. But... As a child, especially if you're listening to this, you're probably a much older child. You're a young man or young woman in your teenage years. It relies a lot on you to cooperate with this. And I would tell you, if you're not intent on glorifying God, it makes it really hard to cooperate with this process. Because I want you to notice, like I said a while ago, that word honor. See, the commandment, the Ten Commandments, it says, honor your mother and father. And Paul says over here, obey and then honor. And, and why would Paul say that? Because I think there is a tie for you to obey and honor your mother and father, you first got to want to glorify God. It's all got to be about God's glory, not your glory. And when a person is glorifying God, they are honoring God. And when a person honors God, then they'll honor their parents. And by extension, honoring your parents would mean that there would be an obedience. This is why I think Paul puts that in there. The obedience factor, that actually comes from honoring. But honor was always meant to understand that. But I will tell you, if a child... If a teenager, if anybody in the household, any child in the household is not set on honoring God, they won't honor and obey their parents. It's such an issue of the heart. In fact, it's interesting when you look at this word honor, if you look in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, when Paul says honor in chapter 6 and and verse 3, I'm sorry, chapter 6 and verse 2, he says, honor your mother and father. He's quoting from Exodus twenty twelve. Now, the word honor there, that same Greek word is the same Greek word used 
other times to describe the honor that we give to God. If you were to look in John chapter 5, verse 23, it, it says, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Interesting thing. The word honor in this verse of John 5, 23, the honor that is due the Son and the Father is the same Greek word that's used here to denote the honor that you give towards a mother and father. Now, does that mean that, that you have to honor your mother and father with the same reverence of which you do the one true God? No, it's not. It, they're not to that level of authority. But it is denoting the type of honor and respect that's actually supposed to happen. That word, that Greek word used not only in John 5, 23 to describe the honor towards God, but also here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, that word honor has the idea of reverence, esteem, value. And here's the deal. If you honor the Lord, you'll honor your parents. And by extension, you'll obey them when you're in their, when you're in their household. If you honor the Lord, you'll honor your parents even into your adult years. Some people would say, okay, when am I responsible to, um, when, when does the cutoff happen? You know, well, well I would say this, when you, are un, when you are living as a part of the family unit at that home and you are still a child, when you are still underneath their authority, when they are still responsible before God for you, then you would consider a part of your honoring to be obeying them. But someday when you move out into adulthood, you're not always going to be obeying your parents anymore because you're now an adult. Your obedience is now to the Lord. Your parents' goal was to help you to actually be obedient to the Lord through being obedient to them so that someday you're on your own. As an adult, you don't obey your parents, but as an adult, you will always honor your parents. In fact, we don't deal with this today. We're actually going to, when I finish this message, the message after this, we're going to be dealing with the complicated issues when it comes to parent-child relationships. And I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. And one of the things we'll deal with that is actually is how to actually honor your parents as an adult. How do you honor your parents, uh, especially as you move into their, their latter years? And, and, we, and, and that's something I think Christians need to be, be ready and prepared. As much as you're called to honor and obey when you're a part, when you are children in their home and you are in, underneath their authority structure, someday as adults... Honoring your parents doesn't pass off. As an adult, once again, that doesn't mean that you obey everything, but it does mean that you honor them. And honoring has this idea of, especially even as they get to a point in life where, where caretaking for themselves is not like it used to be, and they become dependent on you, that you would honor them by becoming a part of that. And at the same time, it's a flip side where parents have to allow that honoring. We are running into an issue, even in our current culture, where more and more parents, they have this idea that they don't want to be a burden on their kids, which we'll talk, we'll talk later about that one. I, I wouldn't say that's a biblical thought. And then the flip side, some kids don't want to honor their parents. I would even say this, even as an adult, we're always called to honor our parents. I mean, so even if your parents are, you're an adult and your parents are functional and they can take care of themselves, there's still an honoring that you would still seek to do. You would try to honor them in appropriate ways. That could be a phone call. That could be praying for them. That could be caring for them. That could be making sure that there's, um, you know, if you're far across the other part of the country, that could be trying to make rhythms in your life to, to, to video them. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you can honor your parents still as adults. 
But yet today we're really going to focus more about the actual child part when you're a, still a child, when you're still in their home, when you're still in underneath their authority. And in our culture, it tends to be from the zero to 18. Just That's just kind of where our kind of culture lands as far as parents still being responsible for you. So we're just going to kind of hang out in that kind of sphere. So when you look in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then honor them, your mother and father, that, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. I want to point out this idea of obedience here. Now remember, we already said that word honor in verse 2 is directly tied to if you honor God, you'll honor your parents. And when you are in their household, uh, as you are still uh, part of being a minor in their household, you'll honor them in such a way that you'll obey them. Now that word obey, children obey your parents. That Greek word there is a compound word. All right, Two words come together, a compound word. And the, the word used for obey there is hupo aku. Hupo aku. Compound word, two words. Hupo, uh, that word means to be under, subject to. Hupo, to be under, subject to. And that word aku means to listen and hear. So when we put these two words together, hupo aku, it means that, that you would obey in such a way that you listen and hear so that you could be subject to them. Now, the interesting thing is that word, remember, it's a compound word for obey, hupo aku. Does that word aku sound like something very similar that you've heard? Yeah, the word acoustics, acoustics. That's actually where we get our word acoustics is from this Greek word aku. It's, it's to listen, to hear. So when Paul talks about children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And, and that only can happen if there's an honoring of the Lord. That's what the Ten Commandments said. Well, what happens is that obedience looks like this idea of, of, of hupo aku, this idea of I am listening. I'm actively listening. I'm hearing them so that I can be subject to them. This is what obedience looks like. And, and here's what I've discovered sometimes. When you're a child, and when I say child, I'm just looking for zero to 18. I'm just using that in a broad range for the purposes of this message, okay? I'm using this in the broad range of someone who's a minor in their home. Their parents are still accountable, responsible for them before the Lord. This word obey, here's what happens sometimes. A child... A teenager will, uh, uh, a toddler, especially a teenager, will obey their parents, but they'll do it with this begrudging submission. Almost this, okay, I'll do, I'll do what they ask, but I, I don't really care, and I think everything they say is kind of stupid. There's that idea. Or there's that idea that a child may obey, but they, they obey not really listening to everything. It's that idea that your parents are talking, you're a teenager, and the, your parents are talking, or you're in elementary, you're in junior high, and your parents are talking, and you just can't wait for them to kind of shut up, and you can just kind of go back, just go back to doing whatever, whatever, whatever you were doing, or you, you know what they want you to do, but you don't want to hear their explanation of why they're trying to guide you into that decision. And when you're doing that, you're actually not obeying. Obeying is more than begrudging submission. That's just the hoopo. This word obey is a compound word. It's hupo aku. It's I will be subject, hupo, but I will also aku. I will listen. So the question is, when it comes to obedience, are 
Are you listening to your parents when they give instructions? Are you actually listening to them? Are you listening fully and freely? Are you fully engaged? Are you, when you're listening to them, is there anything in the back of your soul that thinks, I'd, I'd rather be doing something more fun right now than listening to them? Or when, when they actually do make explanation of the discipline that they have for you in your life, do, do you dismiss it lightly and tritely? I will tell you this. If you honor God, if you have a heart of honoring God, you, by extension, will honor your parents. And when you're honoring your parents, your obedience has this idea of this hupo aku together. You will listen to your parents. Even if there's a disagreement in your soul, you will understand that for the glory of God and to honor Him, you'll simply walk in this and you'll delight to listen. Do you give your full attention? Parents, for those of us when your kids are younger. Now, when kids are younger, remember, we're, as I showed you last week, uh, the younger a kid is, you're appealing more to the structure, the discipline part, although you're still doing the instruction. But, but in the younger years, sometimes we actually have to make sure they're listening to us. As they get into the elementary, junior high, teenage years, they, they actually should be able to listen to us out of, a, out of them reverencing and honoring the Lord already. But when you've got a two-year-old, a three-year-old, they're not at that point yet in life where they're listening to you because they fear and reverence and honor the Lord. They're listening to you because they fear and reverence and honor you. And some of that is they, they, they're afraid of the structured discipline that might come as a result, which just is a reminder to us as parents. When we are actually instructing our toddler, we're instructing our pre-K, when we're instructing our children at the younger ages, we have to make sure they're listening to us, which means sometimes we may have to do the inconvenient thing of putting away all the distractions, putting away the phone, making sure that they have eye contact with us. Sometimes it may be we actually have to do the structured discipline of have them sit in a seat and look us in the eye or hold their hand. We, but we have to, it's our job in their earlier years to cultivate such an idea that they could hoopo akoo us. But in the latter years, children... Those of you that are teenagers, elementary to junior high and high school, listen, it's a worship issue of listening to your parents. It's a worship issue to hupo aku. And the fear and the thing I've seen so much is that, I mean, that, that so many older children, they aren't doing that very well. They're not attentive to the wisdom of their parents. And parents... The older our children get, this is part of our discipline and instruction. This is part of our parenting, is that the older they get, we're appealing more to the heart and going more for instruction. And children, you are sabotaging the process that God has if you will not listen and let the full instruction of that happen. At the same time, parents, as your kid is getting older and maturing, to only appeal to the structure element but not the heart. You're missing out on the hupo-waku. You want their obedience to come as a result of their honoring of the Lord. You want their obedience to be this hupo-waku, which means you've got to talk to them. You've got to make time. There's got to be rich, full communication. There's got to be this instruction that we see here, but it says, in the Lord. This, this Greek word, nithateo, which means to counsel, to warn, to talk, to instruct. This has to be done in the Lord. This means you've got to talk about the Lord. You've got to talk to them. You've got to, when you, when you, when they're called to hupo aku, aku you, 
They, you have to aku. You have to actually give them instruction in the Lord. You have to talk about, you have to talk about the decisions they're making and, and how this reflects on their worship. You have to ask them questions. But for children, this is a, 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 an essential part. You've got to obey. Hupo aku. Now, the question for some children comes out and says, what if uh, I don't, <laughs> what if, um, what if I don't want to obey my parents? Like, what if, what if they're asking me to do something that I disagree with? You know, which has probably never happened. I, I know, never happened. But let's just pretend that that happens and they're asking you to do something that you feel is may, maybe severe, wooden, unfair. Well, I would say this. If your parents are asking you to sin against God by the clear mandates of Scripture, if your parents were to say, you cannot pray, you cannot read your Bible, then I would go, you can't cooperate. You can't hupo aku that. Now, you should listen to them. You should, be, you should be reverent. You should honor them. But you can't obey that because it, you have to obey God rather than man. Now, I, I'm fairly confident that no one listening to this has any parents uh, that are telling them, don't read your Bible, okay? I, I felt pretty confident in that. But what if they ask you to do something that's unfair? It's not an issue of sin. It's just unfair. Or it's unfair in, in, in your area of preference. What would God want you to do? He would want you to still obey them, even in the areas of preference. How far can you hupo aku? How, how far can you do that? As far as you not sinning. That means in areas of preference, you can do it. Now, you might say, like, wait a minute, that's, what if things are unfair? I mean, what if, what if my parents are just being unfair? I would say this. Do you trust and honor God? If you honor God, you know that God has his hand on your parents. And this is the wonderful part about God's order for the home. Just as a wife would be submissive to her husband, and if the husband is making decisions selfishly, the Lord will deal with him in areas of preference. And just like if your parents and their discipline are are doing discipline with you in areas of preference that you believe are selfish for them and um, and, and it's just not, not being fair to you, you have to trust the Lord that he knows how to bring conviction into their life. And that's not on you. God has simply called you to hupo aku. That's, that's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord requires. And by the way, let me tell you this. God works through this. Sometimes what may seem unfair to you is a part of God's providential plan for your life to help you grow in godliness. Sometimes that unfairness is actually to maybe sometimes help keep you from sin in a, in a way that, that maybe you didn't see that God works providentially. I would also say this, because we're sinners and because you're a sinner, as a, I mean, we're all sinners, but any child that's in the authority of a parent, you've got to realize there is a modicum of selfishness and sin there that that, that sometimes the things that your parents would ask you to be obedient to, you don't have a righteous perspective. And so there could be times that actually what your parents are asking you is so of the Lord and you can't see it. But here's the deal. All you have to do is honor God. And if you honor God, you'll want to obey them, even in the areas of preference. And if your obedience is this, this hupawaku, this subjecting because you're listening, rich, full, acoustic listening, you'll actually sometimes catch the heart behind why they have you doing what you're doing. 
I fear sometimes, especially as a child matures into their teenage years, that they're just not listening. They're not really listening. They're hearing the voice of their friends. They're hearing the voice of their culture. But they're not hearing the voice of the people that God has given them to counsel them. Yes, the best counselors, children, for your life, teenager, for your life, elementary school, junior high, the best counselor for your life is your parents. Now, the Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors, so that doesn't subtract from pastors and disciple makers and people in your church and people in the body and grandparents, but that doesn't distract that God has uniquely put on your parents that they are to counsel you. That's what that word instruction tells us. Now, it's interesting. In our text, we find that children are to obey their parents, and you'll obey when you honor. But what's interesting to me is look in verse 3. Actually, look in parentheses of verse 2. Honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise in verse 3? That it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Interesting. Now, when Paul's quoting this, he's quoting Exodus 20, verse 12, and this is the children of Israel. You know, they've crossed over Jordan. They're getting the Ten Commandments there at Mount Sinai. This is how God wanted them to live. This was God's moral character. This is, this is all the civil laws that Israel has is, 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 is descends from these Ten Commandments, how their society is ordered. What's interesting is, Part of them obeying, part of them enjoying the land of the promised land and being there was that they would obey God's commandments, his moral law, his civil law. And one particular one would be honoring your mother and father. If you didn't honor your mother and father, it wasn't going to go well with you. From a civil law perspective, it wouldn't go well for you as a child. You would, you could, you, you could really be seriously endangered. But at the same time, there's this kind of like, there's this good health to your life. You could live long in the land was the promise. Now, the interesting thing is that Paul pulls that in, and we're not dealing with Israel in this section. We're not dealing with the, the, the nation state of Israel. Paul pulls in that principle and says, this is the first commandment with a promise that God gives, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Interesting thing about this. Your, your honoring and obedience to your parents actually has huge benefits for your life. It even has benefits for your own health. Your own health. It actually does something good for you. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to make it this ironclad promise Well, of like, well, if I honor and obey my parents, I'll never have bad health in my whole entire life. I'm, I'm not giving that. That's not some ironclad promise. But I will tell you this. If you're playing the odds, children that are obedient to parents, that are obedient through their listening and submission because they honor the Lord, those type of children tend to mature into adults that live better lives, productive lives. Those tend to be those who get into less sin. Those who have parents that, that, that actually, you know, those that honored their parents' rules. For instance, if your parents in your teenage years have a curfew, that curfew actually can be good for you long term because it can limit some of the later hours when sometimes some of the most deceptive sinning can happen. Or if your parents have, have limits on your digital media because too much, too much just giving yourself over to digi- digital media with no filter, with no throttle can lead you into a life of excessive selfishness, which can be bad for you in the long run. But if your parents actually are, are putting 
safeguards in place to help protect you from this, this actually can help you to live long in the land. It can be good for you health-wise. It can be good for you in the sense of it helps you to get less and less into sin. And make no mistake about this. Sin does actually hurt our health. Now, in general, sin in general hurts our health. For instance, when Adam and Eve fell, death was the result. Physical death and spiritual death were the results. But physical death, like we will die someday because of the curse of sin in general. But sometimes, specifically, sin in our life actually causes us to get even sick even now. And what I find is interesting, the children to the parents relationship here you find that he talks about that you may live long in the land. You, you, you see some kind of health benefits that he's talking about here in some way. And you start to wonder, is there any evidence of that at other places in Scripture? Absolutely sure. I mean, if you were to take a look, actually would look at it. You look at James chapter 5, you'll, you'll see evidence of this. Now, I will say this. Not all bad health that we experience in this life is a direct result of our sin. All bad health is a result of the curse of sin of the fall in general. But not all bad health is a result of sin, but some bad health is. And I want you to understand, children, teenager, elementary school, junior high, I want you to understand, when you are hupo-a-ku, your parents, honoring and obeying, listening well, you set yourself up to put yourself in less positions of sin and rebellion in your life. You put safeguards in your life that will be good for your future. And I want you to understand, the more you get into sin, the proclivity to hurt and harm your future and present is always risk. Look, look, risk. Look at this. Um, in James chapter 5, you find this. James chapter 5, and if you look in verse 14, it says, Is anyone sick? Anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. I let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we find here that in this situation, someone's sick. They're calling for the elders of the church. The elders of the church come. They pray. They anoint with oil. By the way, the, the Greek word used for oil here, I, I don't think actually this, this word used for oil actually, I think, actually holds more for medicinal purposes. Just saying that, that when, when someone's sick, it's good for the church to pray for those people. And it's also good to use the common grace of whatever medicinal purposes are there as well. There's nothing wrong with that. Now look in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. So some people actually this praying, the elders praying, the church praying for them. And them receiving the, the medical care that could happen as well. I mean this... This anointing with oil, this, this can actually be, be a help. And then watch what he says in verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Notice, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. What's interesting is you see in the text that this person needed prayer, the church prayed, needed potentially, I think, probably some medical intervention, and that happened. All that worked together. It brought healing to the person. Praise the Lord. But sometimes, some of that person's sickness actually is a result of sin, if he if he has committed sin. Not every single time. So don't think that every time a person gets sick, it's automatically a result of sin. We, we find that that's not actually true in the Scripture, but sometimes it actually is true. Sometimes when we're on our bed of affliction, we we need to confess our sin. Actually, that may be that could be a part. Look in verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, the reason I read that is to point out something to you. In Ephesians 6, 4, 
talk about living long in the land. I mean, we're, we're starting to see some evidence of the benefits to your life, the health benefits to your life, because when a child honors and obeys their parents, they give an opportunity for them to get into less sin because more sin at times in some, some ways can result in more detrimental things to your life and your future. So it's a positive benefit. Here's what sometimes some children think. Well, this obedience to my parents, God's just trying to get really down on me and he's just trying to take away all my fun. But what if God was actually trying to save you? Not only save your soul, but save your health, save you all the way around. That's why all you have to do as a child, when you're under the authority of your parents, all you have to do is honor and obey unless they ask you to sin. Otherwise, it's very simple. And doing that, this is a commandment with promise that it will go well with you. By the way, notice he says confess here in James 5. It talks about confess your sins. You know what's what's really good honoring your parents is confess your sin. If you've done wrong towards them, confess your sin. Parents confess their sin when they sin against their children but, but children, confess your sin as well. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, Whosoever conceals his transgression, his sin, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes it will obtain mercy. I mean, when's the last time you confessed your sin to your parents? I mean, this is a great way to honor and obey is to confess sin, to just come clean. And by the way, I'll tell you this as children. Parents typically give more grace when you're honest. So... If you get caught in a sin, but you lie and lie and lie and make them play kind of a lawyer or kind of investigator to find out the real truth, there is less grace that a person gets. But when you come clean and admit your sin and confess it before God and confess it before them, you give you you give so much weight to the grace that they can extend and even the grace that God extends. And, and in fact, when we looked at James 5 here, we saw that that sometimes people are sick because of their sin and the prescription is that you would confess it not only to God, but you confess it to others. Now, if you've been around our church, you find me all the time telling people, man, confess your sin. I, I sinned before God. I sinned before you. This is what I did. Will you forgive me? And sometimes people think, man, Nick, you're just being really very wooden on this. But there's biblical precedent for that. We see it here. Confess your sin. But let's take the parable of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son, what he did? That when he realized what was going on, when he realized his sin, his sin that, that actually was interesting, he rehearsed his repentance first. He rehearsed it, which is not really a bad thing to do. It, sometimes, if you're not used to confessing your sin, you might want to just rehearse it a little bit before you get there. He rehearses it in Luke 15. And then he comes, and remember what he says, I've sinned against heaven and before you, Father. You find this acknowledging a sin before God and before the people at harms. So, so it's not like this is uncalled for in the Scriptures. You know, interesting, if you were to look in Proverbs 32 and verse 1 through 5, you find that the psalmist actually shows this evidence that sometimes when we're not confessing sin, it actually does affect our health. Psalm 32, 1 through 5, I'll just read this for you. The psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Look what the psalmist says. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. My bones wasted away. Though my groaning all the day long. Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength dried up as the, 
as by the heat of summer. You know, sometimes when we're unrepentant, God will put things on us, will affect us bodily to get us to repentance. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgression, Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. We, I mean, you find even evidence in the scripture that sometimes sinfulness will actually affect your body. I mean, even look at, if you had, we had time, we don't really have Psalm 38. Read Psalm 38, you're going to discover the same principle. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to understand, honor and obedience to your parents is not this thing where God's trying to come down on your life and do you wrong. He's good. And in the end, this honoring and obedience to your parents actually goes good for your future. You want a good future? Honor and obey your parents. And you can honor and obey them in any area as long as they're not asking you to sin. That's how far. And if you won't, if you, if you won't, the bigger issue is not how fair your parents are, but sometimes the bigger issue is actually, do you actually want to honor God? Do you actually want to glorify Him? Do you trust that God will use even the frail sinners that your parents are, even the imperfect parents that you have, that you're using them and for God's sovereign purposes to mold and shape your life? If you're honoring God, then you'll, you'll honor them and you'll actually listen to them enough that you can actually obey. So I'm telling you this. For this Genesis standard, this Genesis expectation of, of, of the parents being able to do exactly what they're called to do in Genesis 1.27, for them, as they're being faithful in this, you have got to be faithful in your other side as well. So when your parents are practicing discipline and instruction, even as you get into your older years and they're practicing where is still appropriate structure and instruction. They're doing that for your good. God is working through that process. You must only submit to him and honor God. If your life is about bringing glory to God and not yourself, you can do that. And on top of all this, God says, there's some good benefits to you. You'll live long in the land. I'm not making an ironclad promise to you, but I am saying... There is something great that God has planned for you if you can just trust the Lord's order for the home and trust your position when you're a minor in that home. Now, as we end this message, um, next week we're going to be looking at some complicated issues because I've talked about parent-child relationships and there's a lot of things. So we're going to answer some complicated issues like what about when you spank and that doesn't seem to have any effect on that kid or what if your kid has autism, some kind of, what if your kid's on the autism spectrum? How should discipline and instruction look? What if you're a single parent? There's not two parents in the home. How does this look? What if your parents who are sharing custody and you have two different rules and sets of rules for the household? How's that to work for kids? What about blended families you've brought together and, and, and now there's, you know, your, uh, the parents have someone that's not their biological mother, but how's, how is that relationship to work? How are, you know, how does honoring your parents even as adult, what, how does that look? How's that framed out in the scripture? How does 1 Timothy 5 actually help us understand how do we even as adults still walk in an honoring posture towards our parents, still fulfilling what God wants for us in our homes? So that's what's coming up the next week after this. Here's what we're going to do at this moment. Our worship team is going to come to the stage and What a great time for us to sing to the Lord and 
In a moment, one of our elders is going to come up uh, in the middle of this song that we're about to sing, and they're going to give us a chance to edify. As a body, we're still going to edify, and they're going to lead us through taking communion. And if you had to boil down this message, it's really about honoring the Lord. And what a great way for us to honor the Lord this morning than taking the Lord's Supper together. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're told to do it in reverence. And part of that reverence is we're looking at sin in our own life. We're looking how we confess sin to those we've sinned against. Are we reconciled with other believers? And when we take this here in a minute, it's, it's something that, that we're, it's an honoring thing. It's a reverent time. What a great opportunity to take this. If you're a child, and maybe you need to repent about something to your parents. Maybe you need to go to your parents and say, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. My attitude with you has not been the way it should. I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. I have lied to you on this. You need to do that before you take communion. When you read about the church taking communion in Corinth, the, the biggest issue they had there was the unreconciliation they had with each other because they were, they were prideful. So like, why? They were prideful and they were not sharing their, their, their food at the communion meal. They, the, the, the rich were eating, and eating up all their food and drink and there was all this party rivalry and dissension. Maybe as parents, you need to look over at your kids and you need to confess to them if any of your uh, parenting has been provoking an anger. And, if we'll, and as we do that, what we're doing is we're honoring the Lord. We're honoring His Word. As children, when you do that, you're, you're honoring your parents when you confess your sin. And we're taking communion in a way that honors the Lord. So if you stand to your feet, I'm going to pray. And then as soon as I say amen, we're going to have a time of worshiping the Lord. And then one of our elders is going to lead us through a time to edify. And once again, this time to edify is we're walking in the rhythms of 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that when the church came together in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, it says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Let everything be done to building up. So maybe you've come and you have a prayer you want to pray for our church body or God's done something. You've given the gospel in his word. He's shown you something and you want to edify the church body. We're going to give you a space of time before we take a communion meal. We're going to commune together and edify each other. Will you pray with me? Thank you that we have so much grace. We have grace that a technology, I could record this. And, you know, um, what grace that, that I get to actually just worship with my worship with my church body um, this next week and just kind of got to just sit and soak. Let us honor and reverence you as we now have a time of taking communion and edifying the body together. We love you because you first loved us. Let us sing praises to you in Jesus' name.